Well, I tell you what, let's uh, let's get started, and then uh, if anybody else shows up, they can they can catch up along the way. Let's start with a a word of prayer. This is uh, this prayer that I'm going to say. Oh, somebody just phoned in. Who's uh, who's that? Two eight four four two four eight. Who's that? Marion Mauer. Hi, Marion. It's Pastor Bukes. Hi. Hi, Pastor. <laughs> good, good to hear your voice. I'm, I'm, I'm yep. putting your name so everybody who's got the screen up, they can see who it is who's talking when you talk. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's say a prayer. This prayer is. This comes from. This is um. This is called the agenda, and this is the book that accompanies our hymnal. It's for pastors to use. It's got all kinds of different rights in it. So like when we welcome new members at church, there's a right in here for welcoming a new member. The funeral service is in here, um, confirmation service, uh, installing a pastor, all those services are in here. And then there's um, a special service called the commendation of the dying, the commendation of the dying, which if you were a Roman Catholic, you'd call it last rites um, or extreme unction. Um, of course, it's a little bit different than that because it's not a sacrament. Um, but it is a service that's meant to be used at the end of a person's life and in, in which we commend them to God's care. And I want to use the prayer, one of the prayers from, uh, this, this service, uh, in preparation for, for our study tonight. So let's pray. Lord God, heavenly father, grant that when our last hour comes, we may go in peace. Grant us grace. You who have created us you who have redeemed us with your blood, you who have sanctified us in the waters of holy baptism, grant us grace and receive us then into the company of saints and angels to await the resurrection and live in the light of your glory forevermore. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. 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 So here's my plan tonight, I, I, I want to talk about the, this big topic of uh, preparing to die. Um, and I'll tell you a, a couple of reasons why it's on my mind. One is um, last week, would have been last week, I got, I got phone calls from a, uh, about two folks who had had heart attacks. Um, and uh, what was really striking is, of course, that I couldn't go see them in the hospital. That's a really bizarre thing, because that's a situation. You know, somebody's in the hospital um, when you want to see them right away, especially with their life is in, life is in jeopardy. Um, thank God uh, they're both okay. Um, they're both home doing well. Um, but I, I had occasion to talk to both folks about preparing to die. And as I was doing that, um, I was realizing how important it is for, uh, for all of us at any stage of life to die. And that, that really goes without saying, because, um, you know, every, every breath could be your last, whether you're young or old or healthy or sick or in between, um, every breath could be, could be your very last. And so uh, the question of how we prepare to die is a very pertinent one for us every day of our lives. Um, let me wait till Jeannie connects here. Uh, can you hear me, Jeannie? Raise your hand if you can hear me. There's Pastor Buke. Hi, Jeannie. Hey, Pastor, Good everybody. Hi. Hi. Jeannie, I was, just, I was just giving a little bit of an introduction here about our topic, which is uh, preparing to die. Um, and here's the, one, the first thing I want to think about is, um, just how we understand what death is in the first place. And the reason why that's an important thing for us to consider is because the world that we live in um, thinks about death in all the wrong ways. And there are some misconceptions, some myths, some false notions that we need to be attended to um, 
And this is, just, this is just generally true and very good to bear in mind that most of what we hear from the world uh, is, is false. Most of what we hear about from the world about the most important things is actually false. I, I'll give you a good example of this. Um, I, I was struck in preparing for my sermon for this Sunday, John chapter 16. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away. In a little while, you'll see me no more. And then a little while later, you'll see me again. And his disciples were all confused about what Jesus is talking about. I don't, we don't know what that means, they said. And he said to them, well, you, you don't know what this means. Let me explain it to you. I'm going to go away, and then you'll, so you won't see me for a while, and you will grieve. You will be sad. And then you will see me again, and you will be happy. But this is what he said about the world. He said, you will be sorrowful. You disciples, you my disciples, will be sorrowful, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but the world will rejoice. So when Christ goes away, when Jesus is laid into the tomb, his disciples were sad, they grieved, but the world rejoiced. Um, and that is a very stark, striking thing to consider, that, that the very best thing for us, for humanity, for creation, Christ with us, Emmanuel dwelling with us, that very best thing for us is the, the opposite, the exact opposite of what the world wants and thinks is valuable. And it's true when Jesus is laid into the tomb, uh, the world rejoiced, the devil rejoiced. There's this great line from, a great line from the hymn, Awake My Heart with Gladness. Let me just open this up here. Um, the foe in triumph shouted, it says. The foe in triumph shouted when Christ lay in the tomb. The devil thought that he had won the victory. The world thought that it was finally free from the shackles of God when Jesus was laid in the tomb, um, but his disciples were grieved. Um, the world gets everything wrong. It gets everything wrong, um, completely backwards, and that means that we always have to pay close attention to what we hear and believe, especially when the world talks about the most important things, and death is one of those most important things. So um, I made a kind of a, a list of a few of the, I think, the most common misconceptions, and let me read these to you and talk about them just a bit, and then I want to hear from you if you can think of any other other misconceptions. So the, the first question we're engaging is, you know, what is death? If we're going to prepare to die, we need to make sure we know what exactly death is. And the first, the first point, most important, I think, uh, is, is the false notion that death is somehow natural. Um, this is kind of, uh, I don't know if you, if you remember The Lion King, the movie The Lion King, Elton John comes on and starts singing The Circle of Life, right? Uh, Animals, animals are born and animals die, and that's the way the world goes. In fact, sometimes you'll hear folks say something like, death is just a part of life, right? Death is just a part of life, which is completely false. Death is the antithesis of life. It's the opposite. It's the destruction of life. It is not the way things are supposed to be. Dying is uh, not natural to humanity. And here's an important way to think about it, an important way to understand it. What happens when we die is that our bodies and our souls are separated. Hi, Heidi. Hi. Uh, our bodies and our souls are, you came right in the middle of lots of talk about death. So hold on, <laughs> hang on here. It's grim, but, but it's going to get good. So uh, our bodies and souls are separated. You think about that. When you, when you lay a body into the tomb, into a grave, it's, it's just a body, right? It's, it's lost its spirit. And that is a completely unnatural thing. Um, because when God creates humanity, he creates people to be bodies and souls, not just a body, not just a spirit, but body and soul. We get that when 
Uh, we heard that lesson from Ezekiel chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, and he prophesied to the bones, and there was flesh on them, and they all stood upright, but they weren't alive yet because they still needed the breath. They still needed the spirit. The, the word, uh, in a lot of languages, the word for breath and spirit is the same word. Uh, they needed a spirit, and they didn't have it because to be human is to be body and soul. And so this is one of the, the first most basic things that we need to understand is that when, when somebody dies, and they have no breath in them anymore. It is, it is completely unnatural. It's inhumane. It's not how it was supposed to be. Um, and that should make us shudder to think that something so devastating could happen as for a person to be split in two, essentially. Their body severed from their soul. Uh, something really grievous is happening in death. And that's the second thing that I want to make clear, is that not only is death unnatural, it is also evil. It is wicked. It's a, it's a, uh, it is a, an evil that comes into the world uh, because of sin. Um, when I, oftentimes when I talk to folks about dying or I, I hear from folks about dying, they'll say things like, um, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. And there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to say that and a right way and a wrong way to think that. And you can imagine lots of folks who don't have any faith in Jesus saying something like that. They might say, I'm not afraid of dying because they've worked it out in their mind that it is natural and that it's just a thing that happens, neither good nor bad. It's just something that happens. Um, but that denies the, this, this intuition that we all have about death, that it is a terrible, tragic, grievous thing. I mean, anybody who's lost somebody knows that the pain that comes on account of death is a sign of the evil that is in death. Think about, you can think about pain and grief in the same way that you would think about the pain that you feel when you, if you touch a hot stove, right? So you put your hand on the stove, touch the burner of the stove, you know, you recoil, right? Because your hand got burnt, you felt pain. And that's because you're not supposed to put your hand on a stove, right? It's not, that's not what's supposed to go on the stove. And in the same way, the pain that we feel when someone dies is because it's not only the, not the way it's supposed to go, but it's actually an evil, dreadful thing. It's as evil as broken relationships and vice and all kinds of sin in our lives. It's evil. It's not supposed to be. Okay, so those are, those are two important things. Death is not natural, and death is evil. And here's uh, a third, third point that's closely connected to the second one, and that is that death is uh, the punishment for sin. Um, this, so if you think about the way that... Uh, the, the different places you might hear about death. Um, so the way the world talks about death, they naturalize it. They make it something natural and neither good nor bad. Um, and this is where the church often gets things wrong in this third, <clears throat> this third point. So the church goes wrong when it neglects to say that death is a punishment for sin. When we look at somebody lying in their casket and we don't say about that person, Look, they're lying in that casket right now because they were a sinner. If we say something, if we say anything else, if we say, well, they're lying in their casket in spite of the fact that they were a pretty good person, or in spite of the fact that they were a faithful Christian, then we miss the point entirely. The reason why they're lying in that casket is because they're a sinner, and for no other reason. Um, it was not an accident. It was not uh, bad luck. It was not misfortune. It's a punishment for sin. 
Um, and to make this point a little bit clearer, I want to take a look at some scripture. Uh, let me pause for just a second. Um, I want to take a look at some scripture, but does anybody have any questions or, or comments you'd like to make? Um, if, you, if you're muted, you can unmute yourself or you can raise your hand or what, whatever suits you. Is there anything you'd like to say? Okay. Either you can't hear me or <laughs> you're all just agreed. You can nod along. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to share my screen, but if you've got your Bible, um, you can open to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Um, that's what we're going to look at right now. Okay. Psalm 90. This is a psalm that uh, we often read at funerals. We should read it at funerals. It's one of the psalms that gets read um, before the family enters into the sanctuary, before the casket processes into the sanctuary. And it's a very, very striking thing because it's precisely at that moment that it is most tempting for a pastor to say all kinds of fault, to give all kinds of false comforts to a family, to say only really pleasant things. But this psalm is very unpleasant, and yet we read it at funerals. And, and you, I, I want to I want to put all this together and explain it and, and let you see why that's the case and why it's actually as, un, as uncomfortable as it might be to hear. It is very, very good. So let's just look a bit, look at it. It's pretty short here. I'll just, I'll just read along and then I'm going to come back and comment on it just a bit here. So verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So maybe you get a sense of a, a little bit there of why that's uncomfortable to hear. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, there's a couple of parts that always stand out to me whenever I read it in the context of a funeral. Um, for one thing, it is all this talk about anger and wrath. Right? Those words are repeated again and again. Anger, wrath, wrath. Um, who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to you? It's on Moses's mind. This is a psalm of Moses. Moses wrote this psalm. It's on his mind. God, God's anger and his wrath. And it's no surprise that it's on Moses's mind. He uh, spent his career as the shepherd of Israel 
interceding for the people who are always turning away from God and wickedness. He spent his career interceding for them, asking God not to let his wrath pour out on them. So he has this, this vivid sense of God's wrath and anger over sin and the need for an intermediary, for somebody to stand in the breach, somebody to, to get in the way of God's wrath. And then there's always this, this line here about our secret sins. That always, I, I, it, it, when, when I read it and there's a family around and there's a person lying in a casket, it sounds like the most unkind thing to say about that person, right? They had secret sins that none of us know about, or maybe some know, but God knows for sure, right? Those sins, not only do, does God know, but he has set them in the light of his presence. He brings them to light. There's no hiding from him. Our secret <clears throat> sins on account of which there is wrath and anger. Um, it's a devastating, devastating psalm. <laughs> you return man to dust. And as a result, our lives, this middle section here, um, you know, this is, again, this is not what most people want to hear at a funeral where they're already grieving uh, to hear again that all our days, not just this day, but all our days are like this, toil and trouble. They are soon gone. We fly away. We're like grass. And, and this question, this rhetorical question is such a helpful question. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We, can, we can't hardly consider it. We can't imagine it. We can't bear to think of it because it's so devastating, right? If you actually took account of all your sins, if you, if you sat down and listed them all out and thought about the wages of each of those sin, sins, you would be, you would be uh, uh, debilitated. You couldn't handle at picturing God's wrath. Who considers it? Who can imagine it? This is one of the things that happens as a Christian that I think that we um, we often don't take so seriously. Um, if you're not a Christian, your life is actually pretty simple. You just don't think about these things, right? You just don't think about them. Um, when you become a Christian, when you live your life as a Christian, when you confess your sins, what you discover is it, it, alongside the depths of God's mercy, you're discovering uh, how much his wrath is warranted, more than you ever imagined before. Every, every time you kneel before uh, God and you confess your sins, you discover again, and even in greater depth, how much guilt you have. Um, that's the life of a Christian, is, is plumbing those depths and never getting to the bottom, never seeing the bottom, and, and, and thus never really comprehending the depths of God's mercy until, we, until we're in heaven. Um, but this psalm makes very, very clear uh, at a funeral and in our daily lives that the end of our life is on account of God's wrath. It is the fulfillment of the word that he spoke to Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat of it, in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will surely die, right? And that's what he said at the beginning, and that's what happens at the end of our lives. But the psalm does not leave us without hope. And this is, a I, before I move on to the other kind of misconceptions about death, we have to get this point really clear. So what's the point? Why does Moses spend all this time meditating on God's wrath? Well, it's not just to make us fearful, although it does, and it should, but it is so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Look at this. This line is just breathtaking to me. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That is not something we can learn on our own. That is wisdom that comes from God, right? The the carnal man, the fleshly, worldly person does not number his days, and he does not want to, right? He wants to imagine that he's going to live forever and never suffer, never come to a day of reckoning. But we pray that God would teach us to number our days. Why? 
so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. And if you remember what, what Solomon says in the Proverbs, what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and wisdom uh, includes <coughs> hearing God's word and trusting it, trusting his promises. So that uh, in, this, um, in this last petition here, what are we praying for? Return, O Lord. Okay, return because we are languishing under your wrath. Have pity on your servants. This plea for God's mercy, that is our plea our whole life long and at the end of our lives. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. How can we be glad our whole lives long knowing that we must die? How can we be glad? It's not by ignoring it or setting it aside or making it seem like it's not such a big deal, but it is by uh, believing that God is merciful towards us, that in the midst of our toil and trouble, though we walk in the very shadow of death, God is our redeemer, our savior and our shepherd. Um, and that is how we can have real joy, true gladness in this life, as opposed to just a false gladness that ignores death or sets it aside. And then this, uh, we, we ask that his work would be shown to us and his glorious power to uh, his servants' children. Um, what is God's most glorious work? except for the work of Jesus on the cross, his work of redemption. You know, Moses Moses has the work of God's redemption, uh, pulling the people out of slavery of Egypt, from Egypt. That's what he has in view. Most immediate, his most immediate memory is God's redemption. And that foreshadows just what God does for us. Show us your work. Let us always see your work um, and, and then let your favor be upon us, right? Um, that is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. I, I commend this psalm to you. Um, it is, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's such a, a wonderful, stunning reminder. And when you think about who wrote it, that Moses wrote it, you know, um, a man that God chose to lead his people. Uh, you can, you can only get better if you read the words of, of Jesus, you know, Moses and David are come, come right before Jesus. Um, so, uh, uh keep that in mind. Um, let me pause there. Any, any questions from anybody? I got one. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that this was all the Psalms were written by David. I did not know Moses wrote. Yeah. Some of these. Yeah. Is so there Moses anyone wrote, else that's in here? Yep. There are some other writers in there. There's uh, one fellow named Asaph. Um, and then there are other people who would have served in the temple who wrote in the, in the wrote Psalms and songs for the worship of the people of Israel. And so the book of Psalms is a collection of the prayers and songs that were sung by the people in their worship. And, and, and a great example of this comes um, in the Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. They, they would have been sung by pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem. So they weren't necessarily written by just by David, but written by the priests and by God's people in for the worship of the, of the, at the temple. So does it, does it, how do you, how do you know who wrote which one? So, so many of them have kind of a heading. Um, so for instance, in, in Psalm 110, it says a Psalm of David. And th that appears in the Hebrew text of the Bible. Um, uh, I, can show, I can show you. In, in, the, in the Hebrew text of the Bible, um, they'll have a title. It, actually, there's some interesting titles included. So it'll often say who wrote it, and it will say what the tune is that you should sing it to. Now, we don't, we don't know what those tunes are, but... It'll, it tells us what the tune is. So it's like, it's like our hymnal, essentially. You know, If you open up your hymnal, you can see who wrote it, and you can see the melody, and you can see who translated it. That's exactly what we got here in the Psalms. Yeah, and then it's a beautiful, I mean, when you think about 
how uh, they were singing that song of Moses for generations and generations and generations. How great is it that we also have it, you know, that we're, that we're still reciting that song. So it's, a, it's an awesome thing. So that's a great question. And we should someday do an overview of the book of Psalms, I think. Um, it'd, be great, it'd be really useful to do that. Anything else? Anything else? I noticed in my Bible that it says Psalms of David, or David wrote the Psalm. Are all his names there? So if if there isn't a name by the Psalm, does that mean he did not write it? If there's not a name by it, it means we don't know. We don't know who wrote it. Um, okay. We may be able to make some guesses based on how it sounds. You know, like we may be, like there's some, some Psalms where, um, you know, a whole verse of another psalm is appears in that psalm, and so we could tie, we'd say, "Oh, this, you know, maybe this was written by the same author." Um, but there's a, there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Um, a lot of uh, one of the things I, I, another feature of these psalms is that many of the psalms that were written by David were written at particular moments in his life. So when you read First Samuel, First and Second Samuel, and you hear about the stories of David's life. There are psalms that he wrote at those particular times in his life. And it's really fascinating to put those two side by side. So a great example is after he sinned with Bathsheba and God punished him, uh, he wrote Psalm 51. Um, create in me, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And then it's, we sing it in, um, in church. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He wrote that psalm after Nathan the prophet came to him. And in fact, it says it in the heading in our Bibles, Psalm 51, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So not only do we have the story that, that tells us what happened, but then we have David's own, it's like his own meditation on it. It's really a, a, a marvelous thing. It's beautiful to have those two things side by side. But go, go sorry, Marion, I, I started talking and I think maybe you had something else you were going to say. No, uh, I don't, I don't think I, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> excited I about what noticed, you said. <laughs> I noticed 101 was another Psalm of David. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't see any other, any other authors, you know, by him. So then I was wondering. Yeah. As you keep flipping through the, you know, Psalm 103, um, Psalm 110 is by David, Psalm 109. So they, they're scattered throughout, throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay, any other questions or comments? Is all this making sense so far? Yes. I want, I want I, yeah, okay, so good. I want, so I want you to have this clear picture of death. And let me just, let me just say a couple more things. So um, death is not natural. It's evil. It's a punishment for sin. And death is our enemy. So this is another way to think of it. It's related to it being evil, but... Um, helps to put a picture to it. So in the book of Revelation, when the horsemen are riding out, uh, one of the horsemen is death. And um, it gives you this picture of uh, death being somebody that's pursuing you, some, an enemy that's pursuing you, actually coming after you. There's no, there's no escaping it. Um, and it is like being pursued. Um, and a lot of people, I mean, I think that that can be kind of a, an intuitive sense that we have in life, you know? Um, Especially as, as time goes on, you, you gain an appreciation for the fact that um, 
you, the number of beats of your heart that you have and the number of breaths that you take are fine and they're numbered, right? There's not, they're not limitless. And every day, every moment is a moment closer. And um, that is that feeling of death uh, impending. It's coming after you. Um, Paul writes about this though, in first Corinthians, there's a famous chapter or a very important chapter in first Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter 15. Um, I've got it on my screen here, actually. I'll show you just a little bit of it here. Um, what does he say? He says uh, that the the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Um, let me see if I can find it quickly here. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Uh, so Christ came into the world. Christ, the first fruits, was raised from the dead, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ are going to rise. For Christ must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So you picture, it's a helpful picture of, of our lives in Christ as in being engaged in war. And the battle is against the enemy death, right? We have lots of enemies. We have the devil. We have our own sinful flesh as, as a, our enemy. The world is our enemy. But the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Um, and when you, when you understand that in the context of what Jesus did on Easter, you see what a, what a devastating blow to death the resurrection is, right? So death comes to everybody. There's no escaping it. Unless you are um, Enoch, who didn't die, who walked with God. God took him away. He's the only person we have ever heard about in the Bible, ever lived, who didn't die except for uh, Enoch. He was the only one, right? Um, and Jesus died, but didn't stay dead, right? He, he came bursting out of the tomb. There's this great, there's this great uh, image. Maybe you've heard this before. It's kind of an allegory of what happened. Um, death is like a wolf, a ravenous wolf that goes around devouring sheep, hungry, right? Starving and gobbles them up and they can't escape. He's going to eat them all. The, the death is going to eat all those sheep. Um, and then on Good Friday, it ate Jesus. That, that wolf devoured Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He didn't stay. He didn't get digested by that wolf, but he came bursting out of it, just destroying it so that it can't cause any trouble anymore. Um, that is exactly what happened. And that's, it's such a, uh, a helpful image to think about death in those terms. It's not just something that happens to you, but it is something that is opposed to you and against which Christ is fighting. This is what his kingdom is about, is about conquering death. His kingdom is a kingdom of life. Uh, this world is a, is a kingdom of death, and uh, uh, but Christ is for life, and God is for life, which means this is the last point I want to make then about uh, um, just understanding what death is. It means that for Christians, although death is evil and the punishment for sin and wholly unnatural and grievous, for Christians, death is nothing more than a slumber. It's nothing more than a sleep. It's no more harmful than sleep. Uh, it, cannot hurt, it cannot hurt you because it could not hurt Christ. It cannot keep you because it could not keep Christ. Because you are in Christ, death is but a slumber. That's the great line from the hymn, uh, Lord, uh, uh, Lord thee I love with all my heart. Or no, in peace and joy I now depart. That's the, that's the nunc dimittis. We sang it, it throughout Lent. In peace and joy I now depart. Those are the words of Simeon when he, uh, when he saw Jesus in the temple. In peace and joy I now depart. Um, let me see if I can find the words here. Since God so wills it, serene and confident, my heart, 
Stillness fills it. For the Lord has promised me that death is but a slumber. Death is but a slumber. Um, to be able to go to your, to your deathbed, believing that death is but a slumber, that is the goal. That is the goal of your preparation in this life. That is, that is what it looks like to prepare to die. Because when you go to your deathbed, believing that death is but a slumber, it's because you believe that Christ has already paid the penalty for your sin, that God's wrath has been poured out on him, that there is no wrath, no condemnation in store for you, but life and, and eternal joy with your heavenly father in heaven. Um, in which case you can close your eyes in peace. You can uh, take your last breath knowing that Christ will raise you from the dead and you'll, when you breathe again, it will be with God's divine spirit and not uh, that your mortal, your mortal spirit. Um, Okay, let me pause there. Any questions from you? Uh, what would uh, one question? I I know that God takes us at all different times of our, you know, different um, ages of of our life. What is there any meaning behind any of those? Why some die earlier than others, and so forth? That's a really good question. Um, what what kind? Of, let me ask you just a little bit more of a follow-up what what kind of meaning do you suppose there might be or or could you imagine there might be in that well, i know that he wants us sooner than than others and he calls home calls people home sooner than others because he i i don't know the meaning or the real true meaning of it though yeah. and that's where i'm kind of puzzled i guess yeah yeah i think i think that you could say for sure that that when whenever god takes somebody Whenever, but whenever God uh, um, calls somebody home, it, it was the right time. And what that means is it is the time that serves his kingdom, that serves other believers. Remember last week we were talking about um, why God doesn't just destroy the world and all the wicked people right now, right? Why not just do that right now? And it's because he wants, he has more people that he wants to save, right? Um, why didn't he just uh, pluck Israel out of the world and destroy all the nations? It's because he wanted to save the world through Israel. And I think you're getting you're getting to that point just a bit. When oh, yeah. you're he about he uh, has work for us to do here yet on this earth, and that's that's kind of what I said last week, I think, too. So that's yeah, right. It's everybody's you know different, but that's how it is, I guess. So and and that work is um is is varied. So for some. For some, for some, one person, that might be a long life spent witnessing to their family and their friends and the people in their lives. For another person, it might mean dying young, suffering a tragic death, but dying faithfully and leaving behind a witness of faithful suffering, bearing a cross. I, um, there was a classmate of mine at the seminary. Actually, I know I have two. I have I know two folks who are pastors who um, married young, about the same time I did. They were in their early 20s. Um, one was a, class, a classmate at a college roommate of mine, and then another was a, a classmate at the seminary. And um, they both uh, lost their wives to cancer, not having been married for more than two or three years. Um, it was incredibly tragic. I mean, just devastating for, uh, for those men, and devastating for their families, um, horrific to see. Um, at the same time, there is no, um, 
that the 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 impression that I have in my mind and in my heart of the way that those young ladies died uh, is indelible. It's not. It's never going to go away. How faithfully and confidently they died, trusting that even though it seemed like it shouldn't be their time, the one gal she left behind, she just gave birth to a child not long before she died. Right. Um, that they were able to die confidently, knowing that this was according to God's good pleasure. That is an incredible, incredible witness. Um, it's like the martyrs dying in the ancient world, you know, to, in the mouths of lions, right? What a tragic, terrible thing as far as anybody would be concerned. Um, and yet, according to God's good pleasure, it serves this wonderful purpose of showing the power of God's spirit in producing faith that can withstand even the threat of death even the terror of an early death. Um, that is an incredible thing. And so, you know, um, that I think is a big part of it, right? That God <laughs> teaches us through the ways that uh, he brings death to people. He teaches us um, to trust in him. So I think, that, I mean, we can be confident about that. Right, okay. Well then, like with a child or a baby, it's hard to always understand that too. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it forces us to say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. Um, and that is a good place for us to be where we are forced to say that, where we have no other options than to say, God has promised that his will is always good and that he acts out of love for his people. And so, although I cannot see it, um, this must be good. And in fact, it is. it compels us to say even more that whatever I think is good may not in fact be good according to God's design and plan, right? God knows better than me. Um, and that is always a good spot to be in too, to remember that God knows better than me, right? If I was running this show, <laughs> if I was running this world, uh, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have those kinds of tragedies, right? Well... It's a good thing I'm not running the world because I don't know what is good. Yes, Grandpa. Are you raising your hand? Well, hang on, you muted. Let me unmute you here. Uh, I, I can't unmute you. You might have to. We're going to need to tag team this here. We're getting him help. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. You got it. <laughs> you can hear me. Yeah. This may be a, a little bit off the wall. I don't know. But I'm prepared. Usually, I ask questions that are off the wall. What about the What about the fourth commandment? That it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. Yeah. What's so, what's so good about that? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, take your time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what's what? Okay. So when you think about it, what's the reason why when Moses describes this life, what's the reason why it's a life of toil and trouble? Um, on the one hand, there's, there's simply the curse, right? The curse that God gave to Adam and Eve, right? Uh, all these things are going to be trouble in pain. You will give birth to children. Uh, by the sweat of your brow, you'll bring forth fruit from the ground. Okay. So, Toil and trouble. Um, we know the joys 
that counteract that trouble, the joys of family and friends, relationships, right? Um, living uh, in community with one another and loving one another, those things counteract that toil and trouble. Um, and it is when those relationships um, are, are infected by sin that the toil and trouble really comes to the fore. And so you can see then why the fourth commandment is such an important commandment. If you think about how things are ranked, the Ten Commandments aren't exactly ranked, but they are in some sense. So one is obviously the most important, right? You shall have no other gods. And the rest really follow from that. If you trust in God above all things, then of course you're going to uh, keep his name holy and you're going to honor the Sabbath day by hearing his word. Um, but then what are you going to do? So, you know, commandments one, two, and three relate to our relationship to God. Commandment four now turns and says, well, how do we relate to other people? And what's the most important? What's the first relationship that matters most? Well, it's our relationship to our parents and uh, honoring them and serving them and obeying them. And there is something very practical about that, that if that relationship is ordered properly, just like if your relationship to God is ordered properly, everything else falls into place. If your relationship to your parents is ordered properly, then the blessings that come with obedience to God's word belong to you, right? Everything else falls into place as well. Um, because in addition to um, saying that lots of bad things will happen if you disobey God's word, God also says that lots of good things will happen if you do obey his word, right? Um, uh starting with that fourth commandment. Um, so it's good. Living long in the land is good when that relationship is properly ordered, when that relationship is kept. That's what's good about it, is that relationship. Um, how's that for an answer? That's good. Okay. <laughs> does the, can you still hear me? I can hear you. Does, does the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, does that also include grandparents? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, of course it does. Don't I exhibit that by my, my love for you? <laughs> it's okay to mute him back again. <laughs> I don't think that'd be keeping the fourth commandment. So. Okay, all right. Any other, any other questions? I got an off-the-wall question. Let's hear it, Doug. Okay, now when we die and our soul rises, are we going to have clothes on? <laughs> yes i think so i don't know for sure but i do think so i think okay, so i got another off the wall question okay. for you all these aborted babies have got souls are they going to remain babies forever i have an answer for that paul talks about this okay first corinthians chapter 15 his great resurrection chapter he says how are the dead raised you will ask what kind of body do they come? With what kind of body do they come? There's your question, Doug. Now, his, Paul's, I'm not saying this about you, but this is what Paul says. He says, you foolish person. <laughs> what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So he says it's like planting a seed in the ground. What you put in the ground is not what grows, not what sprouts. So what our bodies are going to be like, we don't know. Not all flesh is the same, he says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Um, what we shall look like, we don't know. 
But whatever it is, it's going to be like Jesus. That's what matters most. Okay. Yeah, those are good questions. If that's if that's off the wall, I'll take I'll take those all day long. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna I was just gonna say one other thing about uh, clothing. Um, here's why I think we're gonna be wearing clothing. It's because um, we're clothed with Christ's righteousness, with the robes of Christ's righteousness. So um, we're adorned. Uh, it's not hiding us anymore. It's not hiding us, but glorifying us, mm-hmm. magnifying us, just like you know clothing clothing not to do. Um, so there you go. All right, let's let me say a few more things here. I don't want to um, overstay my welcome, but where is my piece of paper? There it is. Okay. Um, I want to look at Simeon. Okay, so so we've talked about what death is, and that's an important thing for preparing to die. But let's look at an example of somebody who was prepared to die. Okay, this is uh, from Luke chapter two. Luke chapter 2. So this is right after Jesus is born. And they take him to the temple for the time of purification. Mary and Joseph uh, bring him to the temple because uh, you're supposed to, you need to redeem your firstborn child. The, every, the firstborn of everything belongs to God. Man and beast first belongs to God. But the firstborn child you can buy back with a sacrifice. And so they bring, uh, there it is in verse 24. A sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So that's what Mary and Joseph brought. Okay. And you know this story well, but, but uh, it's always good to, to hear it in its details again. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What a beautiful, that's a, just a beautiful turn of phrase. I can come back to that in just a minute. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So that's, that's the, the text that's behind that hymn in peace and joy. I now depart. But do you, do you remember where we, so we sing that song, the Nunc Dimittis, Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace. According to your word, we sing that in church. When do we sing that? Does anybody know when we sing that? At the end. At the end. Yeah. Now, not at the very end. What what happens right around it? Do you, do you remember? The benediction um, afterwards? Benediction comes afterwards, yep. What comes right, right after before? communion? Right after right communion. Right after communion. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mary. Think about this. Wasn't this beautiful? We sing this right after communion. Lord, now you are letting your servant go into peace according to your word. For why? My eyes have seen your salvation. Right? What do we behold in the bread and wine at the altar? but the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's just, we're just like Simeon. There he is holding the baby Jesus saying, my eyes have seen your salvation. And that's exactly what we do at Holy Communion. We see his salvation. It's been prepared for us in the presence of all people. There it is, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. There it is on the altar and on our tongues. And it is our salvation and we've seen it. And so what? We are prepared to die. Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. I have everything I need because I've seen your salvation. 
Now, uh, here's another question for you. When, whenever you hear this story, um, I'm curious. Um, what kind of, how do you picture, do you ever picture Simeon? If you picture him in your mind, what does he look like? What kind of, what, how, how does he appear? Old. Old. Yeah, why do you think he's old? Well, because he was preparing to die, but he was waiting to see Jesus first. He yeah, wanted so, to live long enough to see him. Right. So, so I think that we definitely get that impression, right? We read this. He, he was told he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay. And now he says, okay, now I'm ready to die. It sounds like he's an old man, you know, who is, would be expecting to die any moment, except that God promised him he wouldn't die. But we don't actually know whether he's an old man or a young man. We don't know. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He could have been a young man. God could have told him when he was eight years old that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And now he's 18 years old working in the temple. And there he is holding the baby Jesus. And he says, what does he say? Lord, you are letting your servant go in peace. I'm, I, I can die in peace now because I have seen your salvation. Um, and this is where the notion of waiting for the consolation of Israel is so valuable. Um, this Sunday, I'm going to preach about 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says uh, he urges his readers, his hearers, as sojourners and exiles, as sojourners and exiles, he urges them to abstain from the passions of the flesh. As sojourners and exiles, as people who do not belong, as people who do not belong here, people who are away from home, people who are waiting, people who are waiting like Simeon for the consolation of Israel. Now, um, that's kind of a kind of a, an interesting turn of phrase: the consolation of Israel. Um, what is the consolation of Israel except the restoration of the promise or the fulfillment of God's promise to them, that they would have a land and a home, that they would be God's people, that they would have him as their God and they would be his people and that they could live in a land flowing with milk and honey um, and that they would have every tear wiped away from their eyes. That's what Simeon was waiting for. And although it didn't ha like it didn't happen in real time, he didn't, he didn't, you know, uh, look up after holding Jesus and see peace all around him and lambs lying down with lions and uh, everybody getting along. It wasn't paradise, but he, because he had seen Jesus, he had seen the fulfillment of God's promise because it was in the sacrifice of Jesus that uh, God would do for him what he had been waiting for. And this is, um, this is in the end what it means uh, to be prepared to die. Um, it means to be like Simeon, waiting waiting for the consolation that's coming from God, waiting for uh, his rescue, waiting for his deliverance. Um, we hear that refrain all over the place in the Bible. It is good to wait for the Lord. It is good to wait for him. Salvation, God's salvation is to those who wait for him, to those who look to him for, for mercy. Um, but here's, an, here's a, a place where we could have a little bit more, be a little bit more precise. When we talk about waiting for God, what exactly, what exactly are we waiting for? What is he going to deliver that we are waiting for? What do you think? The last day. The last day. Okay, so that's the point in time, right? That's, the, that's when everything comes to completion. Okay, so we're waiting for mm -hmm. that day. But what, when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns. Go, go ahead, Maria. Peace in the world, and so that there's more believers that he's finally gotten 
all that he can reach out to or the missionaries and everyone has reached out that heard his word. Okay. And, and bring peace into the world for all humanity. Yeah. Okay, good. So, so we're waiting for, um, for his body, for his people to be whole, right? For, for everybody, for all his sheep to be gathered into his fold, right? Um, in fact, that's, we heard that last Sunday, Jesus said, he's, spe he's speaking to the Jews and he says um, that there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking to them who have, he's been shepherding since they became his people, the people of Israel. He says, but there are other sheep that I have to gather. Those, those are the nations of the world. Right um, now, the gospel has gone out to the to the corners of the world, um, and so it's not something that we're going to experience in this world. It's something that comes at the last day in the kingdom of God when there's a new heavens and a new earth. And the peace that you describe, the peace that you describe there, Marine, is exactly what we're waiting for. Um, and it starts with peace with God. Okay, this is the this is finally the consolation, the thing that we're waiting for. Um, think back to Psalm 90. You know, we live our lives, um, although we believe, we, we believe uh, by the Holy Spirit that God is merciful towards us and that, in, that we have his favor and that he loves us and that our sins are forgiven. We do spend our days under his wrath. We experience that. We feel it. And as long as death is impending, we are uh, expecting that. So what is it that we are waiting for? Well, it's the peace that we have when we are no longer living by faith, but by sight. When we see the fulfillment of God, what God has promised us. When we have peace with him eternally, uh, not simply by faith. When, when, when we are no longer seen as but in a mirror dimly, but face to face. Knowing him even as he has already fully known us. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for righteousness and holiness. We're waiting to be perfected, glorified, made perfect. Um, and all of those things uh, are, uh, they, they are on the other side of death for us. Um, until we die, we live in the flesh and are constantly struggling against our flesh, laboring under the curse of sin and the, uh, the wrath that is coming on account of sin, laboring under that. And um, we are waiting for uh, relief from those things. So now, so this gives you a little bit of a sense of, again, what it means to be prepared to die. It is to be anticipating that, anticipating that eagerly, right? One of the dangers of this world is that we become very comfortable in it. We, 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 um, we say, well, you know, uh, I actually, I like it pretty well right here. I don't mind so much being under God's wrath. I don't mind so much these broken relationships. I don't mind so much that I sin regularly and I'm unrighteous. I don't mind that so much. It doesn't really bother me, right? If that's how you feel, well, then you're not waiting eagerly for that day when you're going to be made perfect and holy, when you'll sin no more, right? Uh, if you don't uh, appreciate that the sorrow you experience in this world is, is on account of sin, then you're not eagerly looking for the putting off of the fleshly and uh, the spiritual life that is ahead of us in Christ. And, and again, that's what it means to be prepared to die, is to say, um, it's not just like, honesty about death. That's an important thing, right? Don't deny the fact that you're going to die. But even more, it is to say that death is my, uh, is my passage from this life into glory. Um, that is how we prepare to die, by, by meditating on these things so that we are, like Simeon, eagerly waiting for that day. But you're also doing it fearfully? Yep. Okay. So that's exactly right. <laughs> We fear, love, and trust in God, right? So what are we afraid of? 
What are we afraid of in this life? Dying. Kind Dying. Of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so it's a big circle. <laughs> it is a big circle. So, um, so you, okay. So how about this? You shouldn't fear dying. You shouldn't be afraid of dying. Um, what you should fear, there's only one thing you should fear, which is, uh, um, him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Your fear of God should be that you fear, uh, his disapproval, his disfavor. Okay. That's what we should be afraid of. But if you look to Christ and look to the cross, then not even death can terrify you because what has Christ done to death? He's, he's taken away God's wrath, taken away the sting of death. Death aware is your victory. Death aware is your sting, right? It's not a fearful thing anymore. Um, and, and, and then, so that doesn't, you know, that's, that's how we should be, of course, right? But death is still a fearful thing. It frightens us, right? Um, it's this massively unknowable thing, right? Nobody's ever done it before. You've never died, but you've never died before. It'll be the first time you do it when you do it, right? Um, and so it is, it, it, it is frightful, but that's where when we fear, um, our response should be to look to Christ. I got a good one. Go for it. Okay, so Lazarus. Yeah. Is there anything... I thought I remember seeing something, maybe on YouTube, <laughs> but I thought I remember seeing something about that. Is there any writings on that or there almost has to be? I, I imagine that there's some, some, something that somebody made up at some point, but I think you would think reason. if somebody died like that and then I know they were at, you know, out to kill him and yeah. But you would think that there would be something that he experienced that would be written, but I think that probably it was um, no experience at all. I think it was probably like waking up from sleep for him. So you know, probably not much to write home about, actually. Um, and maybe there's a good reason for him not writing about it because we get we end up being really curious about those things, and then you think about how um, how his death and resurrection pales in comparison with Jesus' death and resurrection. Because, of course, Lazarus was going to die again. You know, he didn't beat the grave. He came back for a little while, right? But death was after him still as well. Yeah. I have one question. Um, yeah. Growing up, you know, I went to parochial school for eight years. And I can remember learning this or asking the question maybe when I was younger that, wondering when, um, when the end of the world would come and it was always taught to us or told us that long as everyone in the world has had a chance to hear his word and either received it or didn't, didn't do anything about it you know that, that would be that everyone was able to hear his word is the biggest thing i think i've heard is that is that uh someplace back there where i yeah. So that comes from that notion comes from Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus says that the, that that day is not going to come until <clears throat> until uh, I can't remember exactly how it goes. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Um, he says. It's hard to know how to position this. Um, let me see if I can find it here. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. This is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the key verse there. Um, and a lot of weight gets put on that verse. Um, 
but I don't think that it's meant to be uh, like some sort of a switch that gets flipped, right? So that when the last person hears, okay, now the end is going to come. Um, Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 24 in a, um, a kind of a, 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 a circular way, and he's kind of being at a little bit abstract. He's thinking um, in, in kind of riddles in a lot of ways. But here's the more important thing that he says that kind of puts things in perspective. He says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only, right? So you'd think, of, you'd think that the Son would know if that like, if all it depended on was, you know, the last missionary reaching the last remote tribe in Australia, and then now the end can come. Well, the Jesus would know that when that's going to happen, because he can see it happening, right? But that's, that's not the, it's not that sequence of events. It's not so tightly tied together that way, right? Um, he is clear that his gospel will go out to the ends of the world, right? There's going to be no limit on where God's word goes, but that's not um, a trigger for the end of the world. There's, there's, um, among uh, certain Christian traditions, there is this notion that we need to, we need to send out missionaries fast and furious uh, in order to hasten the end of the world, in order to encourage God's kingdom to come, right? In, in, to, to fulfill that petition of the Lord's Prayer. Um, that, that's not to say that we shouldn't send up missionaries fast and furious. We should do that because people need to hear the gospel. People are living and dying every day who haven't heard God's word and uh, they need to hear it. But God, the end of the world coming doesn't depend on us doing something, this or that thing. Does that make sense? Does that help clarify it a bit, Neil? Yeah, it does. It's just something I, I learned as a young child, and I, it always stuck with me, and I just I remembered I thought I'd bring it up. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah, always, always something I always remember. Yeah, no, that's good. So and then I have a question. When when Jesus died on the cross, and then he he rose again. At that point, there were tombs were opened, and people rose that had died. Can you yeah. explain? I mean, you know, to me, that's like, oh, what happened with these people when they walked into town, and here they've been, you know, here they've died, and now they're walking in town they're they've risen i mean do they stay alive do they or do they end up falling asleep again yeah that's a great question um so it i'm not sure that there's uh that we have a specific answer i think it's most likely that they died again okay but here's okay. let me just read the passage from matthew 27 the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And that's all it says. That's all that Matthew says about it. <laughs> it's kind of like your question, Jason, about Lazarus. Like, come on, give us some more information here. What, what was that like? Um, and and uh, I think that the main thing that's being communicated there, the main thing that Matthew is after is showing us how, uh, how what's the right way to put it? How, um, well, groundbreaking is kind of a bad pun, but how, um, how utterly world-changing this event was, right? When Jesus died on the cross, and, and here's the reason why, because he was the son of God, right? If, mm -hmm. if, if you or I die, it is something, I mean, 60 million people die a year. I think that's the number, something like that. 60 million people. A lot of people die every year, okay? Um, but when Jesus dies, he's not just 
an ordinary person. And that means that it's like, it's like the world is being ripped apart. Think about how creation, St. Paul says, creation is groaning, as in labor pains, waiting for redemption. Um, and here, you know, what has creation experienced but um, the, the, the beginning of the end, right? And so everything gets, you know, everything gets turned upside down. Um, the, the curtain in the temple being torn in two, the darkness in the sky, the signs and the people coming out of their tombs, you know, the, it's the night of the living dead, for goodness sake. It's just like, this is, this is an otherworldly moment. This has never happened before and it will never happen again. And it is, it is uh, earth shattering and world changing. It is a new age. It is a new Testament, a new, a new time. It's the beginning of the end. And that's what Matthew's really, he's trying to say to us. He's not, you know, I, I, it, it's a very curious thing. I'd love to know, you know, what did their families say? Just like, where have you been this whole time? <laughs> I thought we put you in the ground. And here you are. Um, and what they had to say about it. Um, did they, did they know that they, that they came out of the tomb because Jesus died? Was that, you know, is that what, who knows? Um, whatever it was, it was incredible. And that's why the testimony is so clear about it. And I think that also shows a lot of testament to the fact that when we die, we will rise again. I mean, for those who don't believe or for those they could read that, because for those who don't believe that some people that I've talked to said, well, when I'm dead, I'm dead. There's no, there's nothing. And I, but there is. And so if they would read the scripture, just that part of it to let you can see it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's that right. It, again, if you, if you look at Paul's uh, chapter on the resurrection, first Corinthians 15, he says exactly the same thing. He says, uh, look, if people aren't raised from the dead, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. And then this whole thing is just a big joke. And you and I, we're all just a bunch of fools and there's no point in even talking about this. We might as well just eat and drink and be merry and, Forget about any of this if that's the case, you know. So, so either it is or it isn't, and if you look at the evidence, there it is. It's it's clear as day. I always wonder if we're gonna know each other. Yeah. <laughs> when you know that's a part you kind of. Will Jason know me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, you're gonna be hard to forget. <laughs> Thank you, son. I think we will. Uh. There's always that line uh, that uh, Paul says about how in, in heaven there's no marrying and giving in marriage. And, uh, you know, that makes that that always makes me wonder, too, you know, just like, what does that what does that mean? But I we don't stop being who we are. That's one thing. That's for sure. We don't stop. There being you go, Jason. I'm not going to stop being who I am. <laughs> uh, and even better, she's going to be as great as she is right now and even better. How's that, Jason? Just remember the fourth hold. commandment and agree and say yes. <laughs> maybe we should uh, maybe we should stop here for tonight. I had I had uh, I wanted to talk a bit about forgiveness and guilt, but I, maybe I'll pick that up next week if we can we can come back next week. But, we were kind um, of segueing right into that, weren't we? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that might be more past more private counseling that needs to happen there, Jason. <laughs> um, if you want to do a little bit of homework for next week for this topic of forgiveness and guilt, take a look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, and uh, just meditate on that for a little bit and then we'll we'll pick that topic up again next week. So anything else? Any, uh, any questions, any comments? Concerning 
concerning the, can you hear me? Pastor? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Concerning those people that came out of their graves, you know, if we had a earthquake here in St. Cloud and, and people came out of their graves, wouldn't that be just the most incredible, remarkable thing that could ever happen? I mean, it'd be just unbelievable. CNN wouldn't know what to do with that. No. <laughs> It seems to me that this is just a demonstration of the pro, the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? The, the immensity of the situation that just happened. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And, and to your point about CNN, I think that, um, here's what I think probably happened. This happens all the time. <laughs> people, people rose, they came out of their graves and everybody saw it. Or people, some people saw it, and then a week later, a month later, a year later, they they said to themselves, "That didn't really happen, did it? That was just that was we were just imagining things, right?" That that I mean, I think that that often happens. That that supernatural things, otherworldly things happen, and then as time goes on, we sort of explain them away and we forget about them. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap it up with a word of prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who Father, art in heaven, who are hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Forever Amen. And ever. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming out tonight. It's really good to see your faces and hear your voices. And uh, we'll plan on this again next week. Very good Thank job, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Bye, Jason. Bye. Good job, Pastor. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, Jason. Hi, Vicki. Bye, bye, you guys. This is great. great. Yeah, hi, everybody. Miss Todd. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I got Looking our next week. Bye, Heidi. Hi, Jason. <laughs> Good night, John Boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>